Hello, everyone, and welcome to Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host, and today we are with Josh House, and he is the owner of Pickles and Bones Barbecue. He owns it with his wife, Nicole. How are you doing today, Josh? I'm doing great, Justin. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about your restaurant and your carryout and where you're located and where people can find you. Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so Pickles and Bones, we started in the fall of uh, 2015 uh, as a barbecue trailer. Uh, I was working as a chef still, and we started doing it on Sundays just to get started, see how everything would go. Um, we opened up full-time in uh, May of 2016, so we're approaching our three-year anniversary of being open full-time as a business. Uh, and then in November, uh, the last day of November of 2017, we expanded from a tiny food trailer into a brick and mortar carryout location uh, in Milford, Ohio, uh, which is about 25 or 35, 30 minutes uh, outside east of Cincinnati. Um, so now we have a, a tiny little uh, indoor uh, carryout only location uh, that focuses on um, supplying people that are coming in from our area as well as doing catering business uh, in and around the Cincinnati area. And so do you still have the food trailer? Uh, we don't, actually. So when we when we moved inside, uh, we actually, uh, uh, when we were operating, we had two trailers. So we, we started with one trailer to have uh, as a, a place to serve out of, and then we actually built out a second trailer as a commissary kitchen to, to supply our trailer. So when, when we moved inside, um, we ended up selling both of those. Um, kind of help cover the cost of moving inside, and we really wanted to focus focus all of our energy uh, on the carryout location, and then and then on catering as well. And so, uh, so basically, you had one trailer that was doing all the cooking, and then one sort of commissary trailer that supported the other trailer. It's, it almost sounds like yep. the military. Um, yeah. And so, tell me about how you became. Are you a chef trained? Is that what you trained in educationally? Is it something that you got into later in life? How sort of explain your journey and how you got to those food trailers? Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, this is the only thing I've ever done. I started making uh, pizzas when I was fifteen um, in Miamisburg, Ohio. Uh, just about, it's about ten miles ten miles south of Dayton, Ohio, and. Uh, uh, you know, I went to college uh, and unsuccessfully went to college trying to follow a normal path, which what I thought was studying business. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, and while in college, I kept cooking and finally kind of had an aha moment, uh, dunking French fries, that being in the kitchen is what I love to do. Uh, I knew that that was a job for me. Everything about the restaurant business, the, the high stress, the camaraderie, the family, um, the sometimes debauchery that goes along with it was really, really, really sucked me in. So, um, after a couple of years of going to, to regular college and realizing that wasn't for me, I decided to go to culinary school and, you know, quite honestly, it's the best decision I ever made. I don't know that I have no idea what I would have done if I never, if I never did that. And, uh, I went from working in, uh, Max and Irma's, which is like a chain restaurant um, based out of Columbus, Ohio, kind of similar to like a Chili's TGI Fridays type deal. Um, working in places like that to uh, move into Phoenix, Arizona and working in a, you know, 
mobile five-star, five-diamond uh, restaurant, Kai, uh, located at the Sheraton Wild Horse Pass uh, Resort and Spa, and um, kind of took a, took to fine dining, and then moved back across the country to uh, to Louisville, and then back up to Cincinnati, and I've always been in either fine dining or, or, or upscale, very upscale uh, dining, and uh, within the last five years, you know, my wife and I really started focusing on the fact that we wanted to open something of our own, um, and we've really kind of, you know, the trends are definitely shifting toward um, out of the fine dining. We knew that doing fine dining is something that we could not only never afford to do, never cover the cost to open something like that, but not something that fits really who we are as a diner or who we are as a chef. You know, we're we're definitely more casual, we're definitely more approachable. So uh, we spent some time trying to figure out what we were going to do, and we ended up uh, talking about how the best way for us to be able to start was a was a food truck or a food trailer. Um, so we ended up purchasing the trailer because, again, the trailer was more affordable than trying to do a truck. And and doing a lot of research on the trucks, you know, uh, we, we realized people spend a lot of time repairing food trucks, uh, not being able to make it out to places with food trucks because they would break down. So uh, we purchased a trailer um, knowing that we pulled the trailer with the truck. If the truck breaks down, we rent another truck. We can still get the trailer places. Uh, at the end of the day, we ended up parking the trailer in one location uh, across the street from where we're at right now, uh, about five minutes away from our house with the intention that we wanted to open a business in the the area that we lived in. We wanted to start to become a part of the community. And we knew that if we moved around all over the city, uh, we'd never be able to establish any type of rapport with the people that live where we're at. So it was a conscious decision that we were gonna park the trailer in one spot, we installed a we installed an electrical pole there so we could leave it parked overnight. And per health code of, uh, standards, we moved the trailer six inches every 45 days uh, to make sure that we were compliant, that we were in fact a mobile, a mobile location. <laughs> so, so that's really how we, how we got our start. Um, we started cooking barbecue in our backyard. And I think it was, uh, 2000 maybe 2014 or so sometime around there 2000 maybe early 2015 um well sometime in cincinnati magazine did a did an issue about um the best barbecue in the city so we look at the barbecue uh we run around we ate at a lot of the places um some are good some are not good you know kind of like all the how all the list goes but um as a chef you know i, th I think one thing that we all at least think is that we go try something we think like well i'm pretty sure i can make something better than that so we spent a lot of time in our backyard um you know cutting down using maple maple to, uh, trees that had fallen down to smoke meats and that's really how we got our start you know we took we kind of take our background which my wife's background is in fine dining also and we take that background and that attention to detail and put it into what's you know our modest little barbecue carry out but it's helped us soar you know we source we source the best ingredients we can um i think that we use better more refined cooking techniques if you can say uh using a refined cooking technique for making baked beans but we certainly do um we put a lot of attention to detail and care into the stuff that we make i think it's uh it's important because a lot of 
uh, consumers, fine dinings, obviously for special events and, and people, but we're seeing a, a trend of people are eating out more for sure, or getting yeah. takeout for more for sure. And with that, they lower their budget per meal and where they have better food, but more options for that food, such as barbecue, that's becoming a, a real big trend in the United States. And, you know, around the world as well, people are eating out more versus eating at home because in some ways it's turning out to be cheaper when you can just grab food on the go for your whole family versus taking hours to cook a meal. So people are adjusting their bed budgets. That being said, I do think that, uh, at least in my experience in working with chefs, that chefs that do have the fine dining training and then take that to, uh, you know, a quick concept such as yours or a carry out or a, uh, you know, a quick service or whatever seems to be very successful nowadays. People are spending less time at the table and more time, you know, in the restaurant. The tables turn faster, but they're also wanting better food and they're expecting better food than, than the fast food chains that are out there. And so having options like you guys have, um, I think is awesome. So tell me a little bit about what you guys have on your menu and how you came up with each of those products or items on your menu. Yeah, absolutely. So, so everything that we, so the, the thing, one of the things that's um, definitely different about us is that we cook everything outside we cook with only um, offset smokers and we cook with all wood. So we don't use, we use no propane. We use no electric. Um, everything uh, is done by, done by hand, uh, obviously, but, um, and everything is done all wood. Um, so every day, uh, what we've become most famous for and the most known for, I guess, famous is probably isn't the right word known for is, uh, is our brisket. And, um, so we source um, all prime USDA prime brisket, which again I think um, some people would say, "What's it matter on a brisket that you're going to cook that long versus versus uh, just getting choice or something like that?" But it does make a difference. And honestly, if we couldn't get the product like that, we wouldn't even waste our time cooking it. So it's USDA prime uh, brisket. Um, we do pulled pork. Obviously, we use a um, we use a small farm in Waynesville, which is about 45 minutes or so from us called Carroll Creek Farms and they're a first generation um, uh, husband and wife, uh, Adam and Jess Campbell that uh, had the pleasure of working with uh, for going on probably about five years now uh, in my previous job. And then now they've been able to help supply us with um, as much of our pork as we possibly can get um, from them. And then, so every day we do brisket, we do pulled pork and then we do turkey breast. Um, and then most days we have pulled chicken as well. So we do um, a bone-in um, Amish chicken, a bone-in chicken thigh, and then we brine that for two days and then season that, smoke it, pull it. Um, we're also offering a, a hot link sausage, which is a custom uh, blend that we had made for us by Avril Blee Butcher in downtown Cincinnati, who's celebrating, I believe this is a year they're celebrating their 100th year in business. So we had a really cool opportunity to work with them and create a, a custom one sausage uh, that's made just for us. So they make it uh, down there, they smoke it for us, and then it's something that's uh, that we that we reheat here. Um, and then we also do um, St. Louis style ribs uh, two days a week on Wednesdays and Fridays, and then on Thursdays and Saturdays we do rib tips. So what we do is we buy 
full the full spare ribs and then we trim them and then we offer you know the st louis ribs two days a week and then the rib tips the following day uh to utilize to utilize everything off the spare rib we we used to offer ribs every day and um they just didn't sell all the time so we tried to um learn from some of that stuff in the beginning and so offer offer them two days a week that way we can make sure we sell out of them every time um and then we also try to do some specials here and there recently we've been running a uh, a double brisket burger so when we trim when we trim the briskets before we smoke them we save all that meat uh grind double grind it and then do a double patty burger uh we're lucky enough to uh work with a, a very small uh in-home uh a baker in the area loveland bakehouse uh, shannon uh corrupt she was uh came and visited us at the trailer after we had been open for about two weeks and um, noticed the same thing that we noticed that the bun that we were putting our barbecue on wasn't good enough for it wasn't a high enough standard for the for the quality of food that we were putting out and we knew it was a problem and we were lucky enough that she showed up with a pack of 12 buns and said hey i can make i can make these for you so every single morning she shows up here with fresh made buns for us and then over that time it's been really cool that we've been able to work together and now she's making um we've been working on different recipes so like she does a pullman loaf for us when we want to do special bread um she'll make rye bread for us uh we just recently been working on a japanese milk bread for uh, uh the possibility of a, a fried chicken sandwich coming soon as a special so uh, it's really cool to uh to have somebody like that to work with who uh, is excited about um making making new stuff and trying stuff out and then so that kind of covers all the meats that we do. Uh, we also, so we do three different sauces. We do a sweet, um, a sweet sauce, a spicy vinegar, and then a mustard. So one thing about being in Cincinnati and cooking barbecue is we don't have a region. So we, we don't have to worry about adhering to Eastern North Carolina, you know, Western North Carolina, Texas, you know, whatever, like we're Ohio, no one cares what we do. So we're lucky enough we can do all three sauces. We make them all, again, we make them all. Um, <clears throat> the sweet sauce is a ketchup base. It's sweetened with uh, with honey and sorghum. Um, that's probably our most popular. And then the uh, the, uh, the spicy vinegar is a thin vinegar-based sauce with uh, a lot of black, black pepper, chili flakes, cayenne, and then the mustard, um, you know, a yellow mustard-based sauce uh, with a, a touch of molasses, vinegar, um, and, uh, that kind of covers all those. We also do a little, uh, spicy, um, uh, smoked jalapeno hot sauce. So we'll smoke the jalapenos or fresnos, depending on what we can get. Um, we chop those up and then we ferment them for about a week, um, out of, um, with salt and then, and then blend those with vinegar. So we add a little hot sauce, just, just a little straight hot sauce on the side as well for people that like it. A little bit extra spicy. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah. I'm actually drooling. I think over the <laughs> I love barbecue food, and I think it's great that you incorporate all the different kinds because I mean people have different likes, and some people like dry rubs, some people like different types of sauces. Yeah. Your vinegar based North Carolina sauce, and your ketchup based sauces, or your mustard based sauces. So I think that's amazing. Um, what seems to be the most popular sauce? The sweet by far, the ketchup based sweet is by far the most popular. But the the uh, the spicy vinegar is uh, it's it's gaining some ground. The mustard people are still kind of out on mustard, but I really we re we really enjoy the mustard on the on the poultry, on the on the chicken and the turkey. 
And so um, tell me a little bit about that. Um, so do you order in then and everything's outside? And so are you actually cooking anything inside or is it all cooked outside? I assume you still have to do sides and stuff like that. And yeah. what sides do you offer? So, yeah, so all the meat, all the meat's cooked outside on the smokers. Everything else is made inside. So um, every day we have a variety of usually either nine or ten sides. So coleslaw, um, obviously potato salad. Uh, we do spicy baked beans. We do green be- southern-style green beans, collard greens, uh, bourbon sweet potatoes. So they're slow-roasted sweet potatoes, uh, bourbon sweet potatoes, um, pimento cheese grits, uh, macaroni salad, which is my personal cold side favorite. When people ask me, that's, that's my go-to and my favorite cold side, um, uh, macaroni and cheese, um, and then hoe cakes, which are little cornmeal pancakes. And we serve those with a little, um, a little sweetened sorghum butter on the side. So the, again, on all of those, all of that stuff is something that is stuff that we make in house. So for like our, for our spicy baked beans, we buy dry pinto beans. We soak them overnight. We cook them in, in our barbecue sauce with a big, a big smoked um, pork shank from Carroll Creek farms that we smoke. Uh, when we buy, when we bring in uh, pork from them. Um, and then we actually, in those baked beans, we take, after we make our sweet barbecue sauce, the the onions and the garlic and the secret seasonings that go in there, um, when we strain that out, we save that, and then that actually goes into our baked beans as well. So um, just kind of one of the things that's a little bit more uh, unique and distinct about about what we do is, you know, every literally everything is from scratch, and the only thing that we don't make here is our buns. And kind of like I said, you know, Shannon, she's got us covered on the buns every morning. So she was just here, you know, a few hours ago dropping off for us. And I want to touch upon something that's really important that I think a lot of people uh, who aren't in the food world or the audience that may listen in that doesn't have um, experience in restaurants or carry out is that, you know, waste is your biggest loss. And if you don't figure out how to reuse your waste, uh, like you said, the trimmings to make a burger or um, the extra pieces of rib and do, uh, I forget what you said, rib pieces, I believe it was. But um, that loss can cost a lot of money if you don't figure out how to reuse it and turn it into something that's profitable. So is that something you learned in fine dining? Is that something you just came up with yourself? Because I know everywhere in the food world, particularly in the companies I have, that's something that we always have to be conscious of. Right. You know, actually, um, unfortunately, unfortunately in fine dining, uh, especially like really high-end fine dining, no one, food cost and, and making money uh, a lot of times kind of takes a, takes a backseat to making something that's truly amazing. So I think for me working, um, you know, I've worked in working in fine dining, but also working in hotels and being a hotel chef. Um, you never want to waste anything there. You always have an opportunity, you know, especially when you have a chance, um, you know, if you're trimming tenderloins, we would grind, we would grind the chains and then we would make meatloaf out, out of that. And then that would go to um, feed the employee cafeteria. So there's always an opportunity to make, and that meatloaf that you're making with scraps essentially is far better than buying some crappy frozen product and serving it to your to your employees. You know, it, it all kind of it helps you 
minimize waste, obviously, and make more money, but you're also giving your in-house people, your, your, your employees a better experience at the same time. So I think that's probably where the, the most important aspect of that came from. And then when you go into, into small, smaller restaurants as a chef, like every single penny and every single nickel counts. So you're, you're always looking for ways to utilize any type of scrap. And I think sometimes you have to realize it the hard way by, by buying, by buying stuff and, and, and understanding that you're not utilizing everything. Um, and then I think it helps kind of lead you to further decisions on, uh, you kind of start with the end game in mind and reverse engineer, you know, how are we going to get the most out of everything that's in this package versus trying to figure out something at the end? Yeah, I agree. And you said you made you make all of your own sauces and everything from scratch as well. Yeah, we do. And so, is there any? I mean, is there any thought to growth there or packaging it to sell it in the bottles? Is that something you guys do? So, I guess that brings me to a, a question: What I mean, do you are where do you feel your future is? Is it something you're growing in the catering side, and that's where you are? Do you ever hope to get some of your stuff into retail? You know, because different people have different goals and where they are. Some people are just happy where they are and growing the business model as it is. So tell me a little right. bit about that. You know, I think so. We, we've we looked a little bit at um, at working with some co-packers about getting our sauces bottled. Um, more so for being able to sell them to our, our guests that we have already versus trying to get into retail. Um Maybe, maybe something down the road. Um, but for us right now, you know, we're really focusing on um, maximizing what we can do in our current location as far as carryout business as well as catering. Um, we've, we've talked a little bit about expanding the business, what that means to us, what, what's the smartest decision as far as going forward if we want to try to expand on this and do another Pickles and Bones. Um, we, I think, I think where we're leaning right now, and and uh, and we're actually looking at some locations, is is talking about maybe working on working on another concept. Um, just because, again, as chefs, you know, we kind of we kind of like to do a little bit of everything. So, um, I think the 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 near future, at least, that's kind of what we're looking at at the, at the time being. Yeah, so I know you have a catering menu and a regular menu on your website. Could you give the audience your website and how they can reach you on Instagram as well? I think we're at a point where people can look at it as we go into the next set of questions that I'm going to ask. Yeah, absolutely. It's so uh, our website is, is picklesandbones.com. And then uh, on all the socials, um, we're um, at picklesandbones. I believe Instagram is at pickles and bones bbq but if you if you search at pickles and bones um we'll we'll show up and we uh instagram is definitely 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 our favorite our favorite place to play right now that's for sure well and that's how i found you i saw people sharing you on social media and i was like oh my gosh the food looks amazing so it's like okay and i tracked you guys down and that's when i messaged you i'm like i would love to interview you guys because I see the popularity and and the way your food looks and everything. It blows me away. So, congrats there. I seriously that what you're doing it looks incredible. I haven't tasted yet, but I am in Cincinnati, Ohio, quite a bit for work. So I'm going to try to make awesome. my way your direction. And, yeah, that'd be uh, great. Yeah. So, 
Um, so tell me yeah, a little pickles bit. And bones. Go ahead. Sorry. Instagram is pickles and bones BBQ. Yeah. And but give me said, the address again, just so the audience can have it. Uh, the the web address. Uh, the, your physical location. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Sorry. It's so our physical. It's one one four nine, State Route one thirty one, and it's Milford, Ohio, four five one five zero. Okay, perfect. And so let's talk a little bit about your catering. So now that everyone knows the website, you have a, an awesome catering menu. And what type of events do you cater? And how do you pull in people for that? Is it something that you have temporary employees that you call when you do a catering event? Or do you pull the employees from the store? Tell us about that. Yeah, so <clears throat> as far as what kind of events, you know, we can really do everything. Uh, we've done everything from an engagement party. We've done a handful of weddings um, of various sizes up to, we've done a wedding for 250 people. Um, when we had the trailers before, we did a, a wedding reception. We took uh, we took one of the trailers with us. We did a, um, a wedding reception right out of the trailer. So uh, we've done various various events of size, different sizes. Graduation parties is one thing that we'll be focusing on coming up. Obviously, you know, we're, we're we focus a lot on in, in our own town, and uh, our graduation season will be here uh, be here very soon. So, uh, my wife Nicole uh, is present at if we're doing a full service catering, she's definitely present there. She is um, she's got a great eye and attention for detail for setting up stuff like that much much better than me. I'm more of a uh, I'm more of like nuts and bolts guy. Make sure that everything gets done and everything gets packed up to get there. And she's the one that really does a great job executing those kind of events. So depending on the size, uh, we usually take people from, from, the, from the carry out, uh, on occasion, you know, like this summer coming up, we'll be doing a couple, at least one concert in the park. So we will wrangle in some, uh, some friends to help us out with some of those, some of those kind of events. And how many employees do you guys have at the store or at the carry out location? So we have we have two full time and then we have four part time. And and what are your hours of business? So we're uh, we're open Tuesday through Saturday, eleven to seven, uh, with our little asterisk that says uh, or until sold out, because when when we used to when we used to operate in a little eight by twelve trailer, um, especially on Friday Saturday, we would always sell out because we just had a limited amount of space. We've been lucky enough now that. Uh, we haven't completely sold out in, in over a year. Well, we do sell a lot of items. You know, we do sell a lot of brisket and we sell a lot of pork sometimes. But, but we never, we haven't completely had to shut shut it down from selling out. But we still like to, we still like to hang on to our, our little caveat that we might sell out sometime. Oh, that's amazing that um, that it's that popular. So now the most important question is, how did you come up with the name? Oh, so. Uh, it's kind of funny. I actually have a, some papers sitting right here from from a long time ago when my wife and I first sat down and we uh, we we sat outside on our deck uh, with a couple glasses of bourbon and we just started kind of shout not shouting out but saying things that we've had to eat over the years that impacted us and we're we're I mean obviously food is is pretty high up on the list for us as two chefs and people that own a food business but stuff that was important to us that really made a made an impact and uh 
then we kind of went through everything and started looking for common denominators. And a lot of times we would end up, we realized that it was a lot of times it was food that was cooked on the bone um, because it's just like that rustic and unpretentious kind of way of eating. And then there was always some type of acidic or pickled element that went along with it that made it great. And so that's kind of how Pickles and Bones was born. Oh, that's awesome. That's I mean, usually names just are so random. I know even for this podcast, yeah. I just kind of threw names out there, and I was like, I wanted to explain it, but I wanted to know what stuck also. So <clears throat> right. that's sort of how it works. I wanted to touch back, though, on the wedding thing, um, just yeah. because um, I think fine dining has become or high-end catering is sort of what weddings are but the bang for the buck is really in the food trucks and the in the catered events like that and the barbecue i think we're starting to see that trend as well in the united states in particular is that people are less and less likely to get those high ends i guess if you're at a country club or something it sort of comes with the territory or a venue that provides it but i know um that I've seen more and more people start leaning towards the food trucks or the barbecue model Mm -hmm. or where you can actually get substantial amount of food uh, for a better price and and drinks and stuff like that. Because, you know, often when you have a little bit more choice, um, the food's better. So I, I think that's awesome. And I just wanted to touch upon that because more and more people are getting married and, and, and less and less wanting the big extravaganza um, in terms yeah. of money and a country club or a big wedding hall or whatever, and more and more outdoors and tents or uh, community halls and food trucks and, and things like that or caterers that are, are more traditional food. You know, it's great yeah. to celebrate and, and have a prime rib and mashed potatoes and really fancy-looking carrots, but I think people are starting to really go towards a different model in that um, particular, you know, at urban areas, not as much, but I'm willing to bet that we'll start seeing a a trend there as well um, because the food's better and people want to celebrate the food that they like and now they have options. So if they like a particular place, you know, why not bring them in to do the catering instead of, you know, getting food where you're not quite sure and you do tasting and all that and, nothing against caterers, but in that regard that do the traditional weddings. But Mm -hmm. I think we are seeing a trend where more entrepreneurs are being available to do weddings and to bring their food in. And I think, you know, if couples really like a place or they met at their first date at a, a restaurant or went out to pickles and bones, that that's something to bring in. I think that's incredible. Um, you know, so I just wanted to touch upon that because I think, you know, people are always hesitant because they're supposed to have this image of a wedding. And um, I can tell you, starting across the country in my own experience and weddings I've been to, but also as I've seen some of my clients and and customers uh, get into it, they're moving into the wedding and catering space also because people are going with the more traditional comfort foods uh, such as barbecue because that's true to them versus something that they've really never eaten together. So. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I agree. Um, so tell me about some of the hardships you guys have had, you know, well, getting into the trailer, number one, and then two, getting into your own carryout uh, business. Uh, you know, give us a few things that you found that have been hard or, or felt like you failed, but learned from in, 
and where that has taken you? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with being in the trailer. You know, that's um, it's a whole different uh, it's a whole different uh, animal um, to altogether. You know, especially um, where where we're located as far as the weather goes. Um, you know, two days or I'm sorry, four days ago, uh, the wind chill here was negative fifteen. And tomorrow it's supposed to be 65. So we we have such a such a crazy weather system here that that learning and how to deal with that in the beginning um, and how more or less to survive. You know, when the, the the summertime, people would always ask us like, "Oh, you have an air conditioner in there?" Like, well, yeah, we have a rooftop air conditioner that keeps us alive, but that's pretty much it. You know, you're you're 100 110 degrees inside that trailer when when stuff is cooked and, and then you, you know, you switch over to, to winter time where I got a blowtorch on the, on the locks of the trailer so that we can try to get in and I'm hauling water in five gallon, um, uh, five gallon empty gas cans so that we can get water from, from my house to the trailer so that we can operate. Um, so I think, I don't necessarily know that it was a failure, but it was just kind of, that was some stuff where like we just didn't know what we didn't know until we until we got going but we kind of figured it out and then really we got used to that and it wasn't we got used to that in the trailer and then uh it just kind of became the new normal for us um the biggest things i think that we that we failed on um you know and i, and I use the phrase you know you don't know what you don't know but I, I think that in like in this day and age i think that's kind of a shitty excuse um and and it was a bad excuse on our part too of like not taking the time to reach out to other people who had done the same thing as us you know the first year we were open um even though it wasn't very many days like i did our taxes myself that's a stupid idea i'm not an accountant <laughs> like it's really stupid and then so the next year of course when we were open full time um you know we we get it we get a cpa to do our taxes and and the person's like well you're an idiot you did a terrible job you screwed this up last year like yeah like you, there's opportunities out there to kind of look and and connect with other people and we didn't that's one thing we didn't do um we kind of took our own arrogance of like we know how to make good food and put that ahead of like okay but do we know how to operate a food trailer? Do we know how to operate a business? Like I've understood how to, how to help run other people's businesses um, as an executive chef, but operating your own business is different. Like we didn't cover our bases from the beginning. You know, we didn't sit down again with an accountant. We didn't sit down with, um, we've never set, not no, knock on wood, it hasn't burned us yet, but we have never sat down with a lawyer. Like these are people that are an attorney. You know, these are people that, I would recommend I think that we failed in the beginning of not doing a better job to set us up for the for the future, like not understanding to put money aside for taxes, like not understanding to put money aside for this. So those are the biggest things that were real bonehead moves in the beginning that even five minutes of reaching out to other people, um, especially as a chef or, or, or anyone, anyone in this day and age, reach out and say, hey, who's done X, we're thinking about doing this. Would you be willing, if I buy you a cup of coffee, would you be willing to give me 15 minutes and just kind of tell me um, some issues that you've had, what we should do, what we shouldn't do? Or I think in the beginning, we should have taken the time um, to find a SCORE mentor with the, with the small business and 
have them help us kind of put a checklist in order because I think when I feel like we're in a great spot now we've learned from our mistakes but we could have we could have advanced what we did much much sooner if we would have had a checklist at the beginning to, to really help us out and like there's a there's books out there and everything else for starting a food truck and for starting a restaurant but like there's no substitute for for sitting down and talking to somebody else that's done it and really picking their brain and really getting the honest honest answers of like here's where we really made a mistake here's where i think that you should you should be prepared for this you should you know plan for the unexpected you know we when we came into the inside um we were so excited that we were going to have an inside space and then we wouldn't be freezing by the time that, that the winter came along um we signed we signed a lease um with us looking at the lease we didn't have anyone else look at it um again knock on wood to this point you know that hasn't burned us um but right now right now as we're looking to expand into another business possibly we're working with a real estate broker uh who's helping us along that process and just the the minimal amount of of a couple of different situations that we've talked through um realize how important it is to have somebody like that who has your best interest in mind going forward because again I can read a hundred leases in a row. I don't, I don't know what's hidden in there and what, and what I should be looking for. Like if it's in plain sight, I can pick it out, but there's stuff behind there that people that are smarter than you can really help you really help you make the best decision for your business and make sure that if something goes wrong in the future, you're not going to be put out because again, you didn't even realize, you didn't even realize that, that it was something you should be thinking about. So those are some of you know those are a couple of things like um the foods the food stuff is the food stuff you know i think um it's funny what that when you open a food business of any kind i think like the the, the food is is really as the owner the food is uh, is not the most important thing you know that's uh, if you don't know how to cook and you don't know how to make great food uh, you're not going to figure that out six months down the road the uh, operating a business and, and and figuring out how to how to take care of the people that come in the door and the people that work with you you know that's that's the biggest thing yeah i'm glad you talk about that because uh in the books and everything else because you can find a million books about food trucks i think i have three on my shelf and yeah. um you can find books on business and go to graduate school and and major in all these things but and go work for a corporation. But when you're your own business person or a food entrepreneur or a partner in a company, and you're having to wear multiple hats in that business. And, you know, it's, it's a term that people kind of joke around about, but it's also the truth. I mean, I know from my own experience and some of the business I've done, I've, I've done the same thing, uh, the own taxes early on in my life. And, uh, you yeah. know, Oh, QuickBooks, it does it. And let me just put it right into TurboTax and, and we'll go from there. But, um, and I've learned right. from it and I'm pretty good at understanding all the taxes stuff, but it doesn't replace someone helping you with it and figuring out what money you need to save for taxes and help planning and strategically. Yeah. And so it's always amazed me. And it's part of the reason we're doing the podcast is how can we share this information with people and what questions people have, and, you know, and then bring people back on the show and, and have more discussions about it. But it seems to me in my own experience, you know, when we start businesses or, or we do things, um, Deborah and I, 
and my other business partners, we sort of step in and then learn as we go. But we also have sort of, I wouldn't even say it's even two pages long. You know, what are the the people that we need around us to support? Because we've learned it the hard way and no one ever told us, which is which is amazing. It should be so simple to start a business, especially in the United States. And there should be a checklist that's given to everyone. And I know like the small business uh, associations and stuff like that have checklists, but it really is. You're right. Do you have a lawyer? Do you have an accountant? Do you have a bookkeeper? Do you, what kind of software are you going to use? What's your POS system in the restaurant? You know, uh, what are you going to use for labels? You know, how about your soda, you know, depending on the business, but generally in food, you could probably write a two-page list, and maybe not everything applies to the business that you're starting, but it's certainly um, it's certainly something that I think would make it easier. And I'm I'm glad you mentioned it because it's something that Deborah and I actually talk about all the time, and yeah, and it's like why you know you go to start a food truck down at the county and get a license, they should hand you a checklist. Like, it, uh, hey, you know, there's been 189 other food trucks that have come through here. What have been the problems? Or, you know, I think there's some commissaries in the food truck world that do help with that. I mean, a few and far between in the United States. But, you know, there's things like that that if we want competition, we want things in the food world, we want more of it. Um, not because we want business to be taken away from us, but because we can learn from each other and we can excel. And like I said, consumers are eating out more and more. You know, we're, you know, it'll be a matter of time where we love big kitchens in the United States because they, you know, you can entertain people and cook in there. But, you know, it's getting to a point where it's almost the European bottle. People stop at the grocery store almost every day now. They don't shop for a week. You know, we're starting to see right. that. And, you know, they stop when they need to cook dinner that night because three to four nights a week they're ordering out and, you know, Chinese pizza, barbecue, whatever it is, or, or restaurant of their choice. Um, it's important to start seeing that, you know, we all can help each other. And, and, but just because you think you have a great recipe doesn't mean you should jump in and buy a restaurant. I think what you did with the trucks and easing your way in, is is amazing and taking your time and if you sold out you sold out you knew you were doing well and perfected yeah. the system as you went um so uh, you know you said your wife nicole um and you have gotten but did you meet in in arizona did you meet in ohio so how did you get to ohio uh in the okay. first place yeah so interestingly enough um i was finishing up culinary school in louisville um, Jefferson Community College, and um, my now wife uh, at that time was actually my culinary instructor of my final of my final catering class. Um, and uh, it um, it's kind of an interesting story. She was a uh, she had come down from Cincinnati. Um, so you had the hot for down. the teacher. Yeah, hot for teacher, right? But <laughs> <laughs> we're we're both adults. So this is, this is, you know, she, she's, she's four years older than me. So I was 20, uh, 23 or 24 at the time. So she's, she's older than me already. So, uh, and, um, uh, it was a der derby season was coming up at the hotel and we needed help at the hotel. And, um, so I said, Hey, you know, chef, uh, we could use some help at the hotel or I think actually she volunteered if I remember right. And so she ended up coming to work at the hotel that I was working at the time, the Sealbach. Uh, Hilton Hotel in downtown Louisville, uh, and 
the Steel Buck had a fine dining restaurant, the Oak Room, uh, at the time, which was um, uh, Kentucky's only five triple A uh, five diamond restaurant. And uh, that's all I wanted to do was transfer, get out of the banquet kitchen, and get to the fine dining restaurant. Well, uh, turns out I brought, I got Nicole to come help us during the holiday season or during the Derby season, which is is a holiday in Louisville. And uh, lo and behold, about two months later, she took the spot that. I thought I deserved in the fine dining restaurant. So um, uh, I, I ended up moving from Louisville to Phoenix to go try to, uh, to learn some new stuff and, uh, and uh, just get a change of scenery. I lived in the Midwest my whole life in Midwest or, or Louisville and uh, went out there. And then I moved back two years later to Louisville and Nicole was the chef at the Oak Room at that time. So she had moved up from, uh, being a cook when I was there to uh, sous chef and then chef de cuisine. And then I ended up coming back there to work as a cook. So my whole, uh, pretty much my whole life, uh, essentially since I was 24 or 25 has been her being my boss in one capacity or another, either <laughs> my teacher at school and I come back and she's my chef at work. And then now she's my wife who now she's my ultimate boss yeah. all the time. Yeah. No, so it's- that's kind of, it's good. It's good we, to work with someone that you respect for sure. And, and even though they're your boss and the equality amongst it all, you guys are obviously business partners. So um, sure. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no. no I was going to say, so we were living in Louisville at the time. And then um, we weren't married, but we, I mean, it was kind of, we're, obviously it was heading that direction at some point. So we just talked about moving closer to where our families live. So my family lives in uh, Miamisburg, just out the date in Ohio, and then her family lives in Wapakoneta, which is a couple hours north of here. So um, Cincinnati was the biggest, the closest city that, to there. We'd both lived here before. Uh, we like we like the area, so that's kind of that's what brought us back to Ohio. Yeah, I think that's um, it's funny how relationships start. I mean, Deborah and I met in the food business as well, and, and she's older than I am as well. But our relationship, you know, is. Um, she actually worked for me before and then, um, now we're, we're equals and we own our own businesses together and the relationships develop that way. But it's, you know, it's interesting entrepreneurs and people with entrepreneur mindset, how their significant others really become a part of their business and the equality that comes about it as well as how the relationship develops in, I mean, I would say, obviously, on a romantic level, the relationship's amazing, but also just the intimacy because of owning a business together. I mean, you really have to solve problems together. It's not just solving a problem whether one of the kids needs money or one of the kids needs <laughs> this or that. It's really, um, you know, this is our life here and this is our livelihood. So, I mean, you you have to have real honest conversations for sure. And for me, that transfers over into the, the romantic side about just having real um, conversations about our life in general. And so I think that's really cool. And I really like hearing that, that you guys are business partners and, and, um, do both of you work at pickles and bones first time, uh, full time? Uh, no, I, I work full time, um, full time plus or whatever you want to call it when you're (laughs) in a business full, full time times two. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, she, uh, kind of as as needed, depending on um, <clears throat> what her schedule is like, as long with, along with like what the kids' schedule is like, what what we have going on with catering stuff, 
Um, in the in the winter time, she she usually doesn't work over here a whole lot, but we're always in. Uh, obviously, we're never further than a, a cell phone away from a text message related to something going on with the business. You know, she spent a lot of time talking with the with the broker that we're dealing with right now as far as looking for new spaces and kind of um, setting that kind of stuff up. So, but you know, the, the conversation, um, you know, obviously, you know, when you own your own business, uh, there is no, there's really no off switch. Um, yeah. Every conversation in one capacity or another. I mean, even when you're talking about your personal life, you know, it's, they're really your personal life and your business life. When you're, when your wife is your business partner is like, it's the same thing. You know, there's no place, uh, I, I said there's no place to hide, and I don't mean that in, in any type of negative way, but a lot of people can take the opportunity to go to work, and maybe it gives you a minute to get away from what's going on at home, or you get you get a chance to kind of have a different conversation. But but when you know when your business partners and then and your business and your personal life, I mean, they're connected all the time. So it, it's always a conversation related to. Uh, to, to, to business or the kids or something one of those two yeah that's exactly it and um or or some family matter and yes. the thing is is it's it is exactly that it's like if the kids are home you know we it's usually we focus on them and what they have going right. on and um but if it's you know that only lasts so long it's only a matter of time before work comes up or one of the businesses or even with my family, when we go on quote unquote vacation together, it's only a matter of minutes before we're talking about work or business or something like that, or one of the businesses we have. And so I think there's a, a great dynamic there that really ties families together. It's tough too. I mean, the, the disagreements can sometimes be a little bit harsh because they, they really uh, thread their way through your entire life and being, but I think res- learning to resolve work ones help resolve personal ones all all the better. And so, oh, yeah. how did you guys decide that you were going to do the the food trailers? Was it something that as you moved up there, you both talked to each other and decided you were going to go for it? Yeah, more or less. You know, w- when we moved up here, uh, we moved up here because Nicole had got a, a job as an executive chef at a um, at a country club. And I just, I said, you know, I'll, I'm, I'm going to come and then I'll find a job when I get up there. And, um, uh, it ended up, ended up working out that, you know, sh- that we had our first child and then, um, you know, I had moved into a role as executive chef at, at a hotel and then a couple of different restaurants and like kind of as the longer it went on, it was like, you know, I, we don't see, I, I never see the kids I'm working all the time, um, and I'm tired of working for other people. Um, and it was just kind of like, look, we're, we're either going to do it now and we're going to try it and, and see what happens. Or we're going to sit around for 20 years complaining about the same stuff and talking about how if only 20 years ago, we would have tried to food trailer and see what happened. And he's kind of looked at it as a, I've, I've heard somebody else explain it better, um, better now. I think it was Tim Ferriss actually explain it better now. And I didn't know, had never thought of this then, but really kind of looked at it with that, that mindset of like, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Like, so, so we do a trailer and we fall on our face. Well, the worst that can happen is I'll go get another job as an executive chef somewhere and we'll be back in the same position. And then, 
And then my assumption would be what we would do is pick ourselves up and start over and do it again. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what's the worst that can happen? You know, and it's kind of the way that as, as we've gone along now, when we start looking at different situations and, and how we could grow the business or expand or do something different is like, well, what's the worst, what's the worst that can happen? You know? So, um, that's kind of what's uh, as we have some of these conversations now. That's kind of what kind of what drives uh, what, what what's kind of like the leading factor when we're looking at stuff. And then then we just kind of looked at it like we, we thought about it the same way, but I guess we didn't really have like like the vernacular to like to talk about what what that really was. But that but, but I guess at the end of the day, like that's what it is. Like what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> no one if we if we go open a food trailer and, and we fail, no one's going to shoot me. I'm just going to have to go back to work for somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. What, and right. maybe some money's lost here and there, but, yeah, um, sure. you know, you pick yourself up. And I think really, if you want to be an entrepreneur or anyone in the, in the audience, seriously, that's exactly it is one, you've got to be willing to lose it, but it, it's yep. not, a, it's actually, you don't even focus on it because you, every once in a while, you're going to lose some stuff here and there, but it's, yeah. you know, as a family unit or as a, you know, in a relationship or around you, you know, if you know, you can pick yourself back up and you're willing to do it after you fail. And that failure is a possibility. I mean, I won't go and saying I'm going to fail, but I do know that if something bad happens, I've got to have, you know, I know that I'm confident enough in myself and I know Deborah's confident enough in herself that we can go figure out something else, you know, whether it's together or independently. And that's a big deal. And I think a lot of people fail because they get too tied up in, the failure part and they keep being like, Oh my God, if I fall on my face, it's going to be over and I'm going to be failure. Well, it's not really a failure in that sense. And I use the word on this show a lot, but what it really is about is, is the, it's really a bounce. It you should, it shouldn't be like, Oh, I fell on my face. No. Well, I kind of bounced off the ground because if I bounce off the ground, it means I may fail at something, but I hit the ground hard enough where I learn from it. And I start the next season in my life, you know? So I mean, I've yeah. had some struggles here sure. and there with businesses, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to keep moving forward and learn from them. And and sometimes trends change, or economies change, or whatever, or people's spending patterns change. And but you just got to be willing to roll with them and pivot with them, uh, because if you get too caught up, you know, what's the point? You know, then you're not enjoying yourself. But I also want to touch upon what you said is that you just have to go for it because. Otherwise, you're talking 20 down years down the road that I could have started this food trailer. And that's huge because I think a lot of people get stuck in the Groundhog Day of thinking about it every day and never actually doing it. So if you want to do it, I mean, obviously, you want to have your ducks in a row as much as you can. But at some point, you just need to make that first step. And really, I applaud it because there's a lot of people out there and you, that won't do that. I know there's a lot of food businesses and restaurants and carryouts and all of that and people that are, you know, making their own sauces or jellies. But there's probably about 10 times as many people that will never make that first step or never make that first commitment to go forward. And that's okay if they, you know, if they're not committed. But what it is is the the difference there is the willingness to do it and the willingness to fail and i think that we i talked about a little bit in my last episode but i like that attitude so i applaud it and i the support that you and your wife have for each other and that i think is awesome as well and you know neither one of you are going to be hard on the other one if anything bad ever happened it sounds like you know that you're going to bounce and and keep going so 
Um, oh yeah, absolutely. I really appreciate you sharing that, Josh, because it's important that people know that you know you're. It's always a possibility, but it's what you're willing to do if it does become the possibility um, to move forward and and for your family and everything. You know, so you right. know every time Deborah and I get into a new business idea or idea, we do talk about that. What happens if it doesn't work? What's our next step? You know, what else do we have? You know, what can I do? What can she do? And, you know, having that sort of mapped out makes it feel like less you're going to fail. And then you don't focus on it because it's one of those things where if you focus that I might fail, you're probably going to fail because you're focusing on it. You know, you're not focusing on winning or doing what's right. And if you sort of have those conversations at the beginning Mm -hmm. And at least have it in the mindset that I'm going to be okay if that happens, then you don't focus on it and you can move forward and be successful. And it's, it's interesting how the mind works that way in human beings. I really do think that a lot of the successful food entrepreneurs I have met or, or work with, um, they do kind of uh, have that mindset at the beginning that it, failure is a possibility and there's going to be small ones and they're going to learn about them. But they're really opportunities, and if you sort of come to terms with it at the beginning, it's amazing what can happen because you don't focus on it anymore. You don't worry about it. All your, you know what what's going to happen if you get there, and you sort of just focus on being successful and what you can do, and less about the little things that are hardships. Um, so that being said, what do you, what inspires you to do this every day? You know, every day you have to get up. Owning your own business can be tough at times. Employees can be tough at times. Uh, weather can be tough at times. What keeps you going every day? Honestly, what what I think about a lot is uh, is every day I have a I, I kind of live with like a healthy fear that that nobody's going to show up today, and whether that means the people that are that are here working or or you know more importantly you know the the people that that come through the front door and, and help us you continue our business, but. I think when you get complacent and you assume that just because yesterday was great, that today's going to be great, you know, it's, it's coming in with a mindset that like, you know, we, we have to do better today than we did yesterday. And I guess like kind of what we were kind of just touching on before, as far as thinking about, um, uh, not thinking about failing to, to me, it's kind of like the, the team in the end of the football game that all of a sudden starts to play not to lose instead of playing to win the game. Like for us, we just keep focused on, you know, how are we going to win today? And then how are we going to keep winning? And then what's the next thing we need to do to, to keep moving it forward, you know? And when, when we make a mistake yesterday, there's no reason to dwell on it and move on from it. You know, like for me, as much as I love food and it's one of my true, true passions in this world, like uh, the process of, starting the business out and growing the business and then what our next move is is like all that part is really really drives me every day like what can we do better today what can we do better tomorrow what have we continued to talk about doing better but we're still not doing better why is that and then looking for looking for the right people to help us make that happen that's the that's the thing you know the uh, making great food like it's delicious i love the food it's delicious believe me like and that and that's awesome um but making food every single day isn't what drives me to me it's like how do we 
make the food, the service, the ambiance, the whole experience better, better today as a whole so that people keep coming back because there is a fear every day that when we unlock the front door that nobody's ever going to come through it. And I don't think even if we're the most successful business in the world, I don't think I could ever, I don't think I would ever want to get rid of that feeling. I think it's a healthy feeling to have. Um, and that's like, honestly, that's what drives me every day. Yeah, I think that's, uh, I love that you said that. And one of the things I really love that you just said was there are, there's a lot of people that do this. Uh, people play not to lose, which is yeah. different than playing to win. And mm-hmm. I, I probably will do a whole episode on it and I'm going to have you back on the show for sure in a few months to see how you've progressed and, and the things are done. Cause I think there's a lot more to talk about for sure. If, if you want to be back on the show, but, um, yeah, absolutely. but I think that's something that people really got to understand. And, and Deborah and I actually say that all the time when we're looking at people or looking at partnerships to do co-packaging or whatever or work with people to do stuff or, or grow a business or a hospital group or, or a long-term care home, you know, what is their goal? And if they're playing not to lose, it's hard because you're not really playing to win or be the best. When you yeah. play not to lose, you're sort of knocking down every other building. When you're playing to win, you're trying to build the biggest building. And, yeah. and you know, that mindset in people, it's a huge indicator of, of, of success and failure in my opinion. And if, you don't want to lose. You're not really playing to win and you're not really going to drive yourself forward every day. You don't have that fire under your ass for lack of a better term that, that pushes you forward. I mean, it's like, you know, this podcast has somewhat become like part of my everyday life. And if you talk to Deborah, she's like, Oh my God, you had all this time before. And we were finally having time on our hands. And all of a sudden you (laughs) did this. And now you're like, you know, what if someone stops listening or today there's not a download, you know, she'll hear me talking about it at the table, but that's literally what drives me to do it and keep the interviews going and reaching out to people on social media and, and hearing everyone's stories and wanting to share and, and be a part of it all because I am interested. Like, it's great to hear what you said because, you know, in in one way, there's a whole fellowship of food entrepreneurs out there that I feel like we could learn from each other. And there's a whole group of us that really feel the same in, in that manner. And hearing you say that really brings me a lot of comfort and, and for me, makes me feel good about what I'm doing. So I'm glad you, you said that because... That attitude, seriously, I feel like it's something that we're losing in this country as more and more generations come about is the willingness to win versus trying not to lose. Um, And we're very short-term minded now and and little wins here instead of the long-term picture. So I love that you said that. Um, And I went off on a tangent there. But the... I understand. (laughs) The... um, Gosh, I I mean, I've really had a great conversation with you, Josh. And, you know, as I've gotten more comfortable with these interviews, these conversations keep getting better. So I definitely want you back on the show. And and I'm definitely going to come by your restaurant next time we're, or your carryout next time we're in uh, Cincinnati, since it's probably not too far. And we kind of end up on these weird trips zigzagging all over Ohio, looking at equipment manufacturers for our businesses anyway. Um, Yeah. So... 
and Louisville, Cincinnati area just happens to be one of the areas where we do have a manufacturer that produces um, some of our equipment that we use in, in my field. And um, cool. so I'd love to come do that for sure. Uh, yeah, as, we, as we wrap up, um, I'm going to end it on this, but I'm going to ask you the question. If you could tell yourself one to three things that you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning, what would those three things be? At the beginning, meaning when you started the food trailers. Um, ask for help when you need it. Um, join a join some type of, I, I don't know what it is because I didn't do it, but join some kind of organization, some kind of group at, with other people that are doing the something similar as you. Um, uh, I'm, I'm actually getting ready to start a business course uh, with, with Goldman Sachs. It's 10,000 small business program. And I'm super excited to start talking to other people that even though they're not all food entrepreneurs, that they're small businesses that are trying to grow. And I think find other people that you can surround yourself with that are like-minded and definitely, and at the same time, find people that you surround yourself with that are smarter than you. Because I think every time, anytime you look in the room and, and you've decided that you're the smartest person in the room, uh, you're either A, the dumbest person in the room for thinking that, or B, you're not surrounding yourself with other smart people. You know, I think we can all sit around and talk about how, how good, good decisions we've made based on this. But like, if there's nobody to challenge that, if there's nobody for you to bounce ideas off of, if there's nobody for you to share your story with and in turn listen to their story and help each other out, I'm like, yeah, we're all just kind of, we all end up going on our own journey and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that hard. Um, sorry, those are not, not really three things, but I think that was just the kind of thing that I think I wish looking back on it. Um, I would have asked for help, more help and I would have found a group to join. And then the third thing would be just to do it. Like if I could go back, three years ago before I started, I wish I could tell that person go back three years previous and start then like, just do it. Because if you started five years ago, you'd be, you, you, you have five years experience of making those mistakes right now in your own business. Um, and, and I just think that there's no substitute for getting out there and doing it. Uh, but I think being, not being afraid to ask for help and, and having other people, uh, to bounce stuff off of make the world a difference. And I love that, by the way, because that is um, the truth. Uh, if you're now the smartest in the room, you're right. You're either the dumbest in the room, really, or you need to find another room uh, where you aren't the smartest yeah. in the room. And I lived in New York City for a while, so I became quite the fan of the way Jay-Z, the musician, did business and the way he did things. And um, and one of the things he always does if, if you watch him, and I believe he talks about it in his book a little bit, if I remember correctly, but he surrounds himself by people that are always smarter than him or in a business he wants to learn. And then he really just, he, he lets, he's willing, no matter how much money he has or how big his ego is, he's always willing to learn and absorb as much information as people from possible until he's perfected his skill. And once he's right. done that, he, he, you know, moves on either from a business partner or from 
whatever that business is and, and goes into it on his own, but also then finds his next thing where he's not the smartest person in the room and excels at it. So I really mm-hmm. love that you said that because it, it reminds me of that sort of mindset of what I will call the hustle because the hustle's not, I can work 80 hours a week and work my fingers to the bone and, and I'm going to succeed. Yeah. You're probably going to have some success, but the real success comes in also spending those 80 hours a week, not only running your business and learning for yourself, but also being willing to learn from other people and finding those people to learn. And that's one of the reasons I started the podcast because I felt like one, we can learn from each other at a more rapid rate. But two is, is I'm still curious at learning from how everyone does it because there's so much to learn. And, yeah. and even if I've heard it once, I need to hear it again for it to become something that I really take into the principles in my life. And so this has been an amazing interview again. And I thank you so much, Josh, for, for being on the show. Um, I will reach out to you because I want to make sure that I get the information on Loveland Bakehouse, I believe. Sharon was her yep. name, as well as Adam. Sh- Shannon. Yep. Or Shannon, sorry. Yep. Yep. And uh, Adam and Jess Campbell at Carroll Creek yep. Farm. I want their information. Yep. I can't remember the name of the butcher you said that did the sausage. Uh, um, Averably. Averably. Yep. And so I, if I could, if you could send me all the three of their information and their contact information, yeah, I'd love definitely. to put it in the notes of the podcast and give them a shout out. And if you talk to them, I'd love yeah. to have them on the show as well and, and, and promote them since it sounds like they're promoting you and, and helping you. So any way I can help or we can help Deborah and I or put them on the show, that'd be awesome. And so... I look yeah, forward absolutely. to having you on the show again, and I can't tell you how grateful I am that you were willing to come on and be so honest. This has been a real great episode. And with that being said, um, uh, could you give everyone your co- contact information again and how they can find you guys and yeah. your physical address as well? And and then I'll yeah. wrap everything up. Cool. Yeah, so at Pickles and Bones Barbecue, um, we're in, in um, Milford, Ohio, uh, about... 25, 35, 35 minutes outside of Cincinnati East. Um, our address is 1149 State Route 131, Milford, Ohio, 45150. Uh, phone number here at the carryouts, 513-317-2214. Uh, you can find us on uh, on, the, on the web at picklesandbones.com. And then on socials, we're at, at picklesandbones. Uh, on Instagram, it's at picklesandbonesbbq. Uh, but if you search for pickles and bones, we'll, we'll, we'll show up on there for sure. Um, you know, we do carry out, carry out and catering and, and, uh, and we look forward to, uh, to, uh, to talking to some of you in the near future. Awesome. I, I definitely look forward to stopping by and, and trying all the food. I'm probably, I'm still drooling as I read my notes on the paper about all the things you do. And, um, So with that being said, thank you everyone in the audience that's listening and taking the time to listen to our podcast. Thank you again, Josh. And I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm the host of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs. Uh, We are um, on Instagram at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs and Facebook at, at Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs as well. And if you're interested in being on the show or have questions that you would like to ask the interviewees on the show, please email me at justin.bizarro at gmail.com and that's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O at gmail.com. Thank you and have a great day. Bye.